Welcome to the Business That Matters Spotlight. I'm Warren Coughlin, founder of this podcast and business coach to ethical entrepreneurs who want to build a business that matters. In short, I help you end chaos and gain control over your business so that you predictably and reliably achieve the profits, the lifestyle, and the impact you strive for through a team you can trust without the stress and frustration. When you experience this, you're more confidently able to make the world or just your corner of it a bit of a better place. At The Spotlight, we believe that every entrepreneur has a unique message that can positively impact the world and inspire others to do the same. Stick around to the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest. Let's get started. Hello and welcome back to the Business That Matters Spotlight. This is Warren Coglin, your host, and I'm very excited to hey, today to have a, have a local compatriot here, another Torontonian. Uh, Barry Martin is the CEO of Hypnotic, and Hypnotic is a design firm and a Canadian B Corp that serves social entrepreneurs, intrapreneurs, nonprofits who are changing systems or their sectors, as he likes to as he likes to say. So, welcome to the show, Barry. Thank you. Great, it's nice to have you here. Listen, let's start by defining a couple of those terms. So, you you have a couple of them in there: social entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, nonprofits. So, just nonprofits, I think people understand. But how would you? How do you define? social entrepreneur. And I ask that because I've, I've actually spoken to people and there's sometimes quite different understandings of that term. Uh, well, um, I guess it's just any, um, broadly a purpose-driven business. Um, people who are trying to make uh, a social change using um, tools of business. Um, I differentiate these from companies who may do progressive things on the side, like CSR, mm-hmm. um, and um, so yeah, as long as you uh, center trying to make some kind of progressive change, some kind of positive impact, um, and use that to influence how you make your business decisions, then you qualify for social entrepreneurship. As far as so does that have to be, does that have to be inherent in the product or service itself, or it can just be the way you do it? So, for instance, somebody, you know, I had a client who does sponsorship marketing, which is, you know, pretty common kind of activity, but he does it in a way that really tries to make a great place for his people to work where they can grow as individuals and, you know, provide great labor practices and all that kind of thing. Would that, yeah, that That could qualify. Um, If there, you know, it's stated in, in their mission that, um, you know, making a dream place to work is is part of their agenda mm-hmm. you know um if it just happens to be uh something that they're doing because they feel like that's what attracts talent or uh re- you know helps with retention uh or you know some other reason then not really right because I, I like i know a lot of great organizations that do that um i don't want to before um when i was before we were certified as a B corporation, we came across another movement um, called Small Giants, which I have nothing negative to say about. They were all really nice people, and everybody we met from the from the leaders of the movement to um, the many people we met at their conference. Um, but I, we just felt like there wasn't enough there. There, like trying to be um, the kind of place where everybody wants to work. It didn't seem like enough of a social mission to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, as it happens, um, you know, I, I'm like, this is a 
you're touching on sort of a personal area because uh, I've always lamented how hard it is to tie um, clear impact to the way we operate. You know, I, I know other people who run engineering firms that build wells in places that need water, you know, and I, or, um, and so, you know, here, half of our clients are nonprofits. The other half are somewhere on the spectrum from um, modeling better practices to literally trying to evolve their sector. But we really have to mostly identify our impact in how much we help them move forward, our clients move forward with their agendas. Right. Largely. Um, this year, by coincidence, we happen to have won uh, a Best for the World award for, um, for uh, our recent, when we recertified for how we treat our employees. Oh, good for you. So, yeah. Um, but um, I don't know. It was a surprise because I wasn't you know, shooting for any particular thing. We're just giving them our data and reporting and reporting. And I also, also feel like um, uh, Canadians probably get a bit of an edge, you know, because we have socialized medicine and there are things, laws in place that, you know. So I don't know. I feel like we, we just get a head start on maybe some people from uh, around the world who don't have legislation forcing them to do some of the things that we, we do. Nice. And what about entrepreneurs? How do you define that? So people who work at bigger organizations um, that uh, ha- either have the mandate or the will to evolve their practices, people who are, uh, and again, this is social entrepreneurs, right? Because I mean, an entrepreneur can be anybody in any organization who uh, takes it upon themselves to um, evolve the organization's practices, but our focus is on people who are doing that for progressive things. Nice. Now, just, I want to circle back a little bit. Like what, what got you that award for, like, that's a, that's a pretty cool award. I mean, congratulations to be. Thank you. Yeah. Um, well, I, you know, again, I, I feel like it's my guess is, and I haven't done the deep analysis really because we're busy. But um, <laughs> it, uh, um, my my um, anecdotal sense was that it was around flexibility. Um, you know, we um, up until the pandemic, we were a regular go to the office kind of culture, but um, the. But, you know, one teammate wanted to try living in Montreal. Uh, so they moved there for a bit. And we had a plan where they would come back every few weeks for a week. And then eventually that just kind of petered out. And then all of a sudden they're raising their kids there and bought a house there. And so, and we've since hired somebody else who just came back from another country and decided to move to Montreal. And so they're living there. And somebody else wanted to go, um, you know, so we have uh, our maternity practices are kind of like, maxing everything out and etc and our um just general flexibility we we really respect that different people like to work at different times we hope that um after the pandemic we do get back to like a stage where there's some overlap like we were just talking at one of our meetings this morning about how it's kind of nice. Like when we're at the office, we, we, we do so much flow work, right? There's design and strategy and writing and development. And so people kind of like, they have their earphones on and they get, get into something for a couple hours, but then somebody gets a coffee and, and they're making espresso and they're chatting and da, da, da. So you, you end up, everybody just starts chatting. And sometimes we all go for a walk and get lunch and then we all bring it back and eat it together. And then we go through these other, another round of like flow work. 
And you kind of miss that, especially right. with remote. And, yeah. you know, with, with all, with extreme flexibility, like I understand the model and, and appreciate it for if you, let's say you're building a, a, a significant piece of software where you want to just hire the best people from anywhere and you do your best to try to sync them up and have them do an in-person meetup once or twice a year or something. I get that, but you know, we're 10 people and um, being able to tap somebody on the shoulder and just say, Hey, uh, I'm, betting there's a faster way to do this. Help me figure this out. But what am I not seeing here? That was always really, I mean, for 20 years, that was really a big part of how we move things forward. And so I'm hoping that's not entirely gone. Have you found, have you had to make um, some structural changes as a result of that? Like the way you run meetings, the way you um, promote social interaction through a remote environment? Like if you had to be, have you allowed it to happen organically or have you been intentional about how you structure things to promote that? Um, so a couple of things on that. One, we, we have put in a lot more, um, regimented meetings like we now have um you know i know that our development team has has a stand-up meeting every morning even if it's 10 15 minutes they all just check in on their projects how's everything going is there any blockages that and that i sometimes pop into that and there's a little chit chat and you know we discuss if there's any priorities they're not aware of or things that hassles they're having that i'm not aware of and then uh, i have the same thing with the design team and i have the same thing with the strategy team so putting those in was not something we had to do formally ever before Mm -hmm. uh, two, we are talking about something that um, we've always been bad at, but um, but now I think is a real problem, which is um, celebrating. Like we're launching the shit out of things, like nonstop, and that and I'm and I'm just realizing, uh, like literally, yeah. Uh, and we were in a meeting this morning. and um, I just wanted to get organized because we have a whole bunch of projects that that need to be scheduled. And, uh, and, uh, one of my teammates said, well, it's not as bad as you think. We just launched a whole bunch of stuff. And I thought about it and I realized, I'm like, God, we did. And, uh, whereas normally I would just say, you know, I'm ordering drinks at lunch, right? Like we're, we're, you know, like this was big, congratulations. Like, um, you know, we're used to our projects going like this. I mean, you know, you, are you familiar with the creative squiggle? Oh Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we're used to that, you know, it's messy, messy, messy. And then you kind of get your head around it. And then, but it's almost like there's micro versions of the squiggles in. And, you know, we're very much as a, um, a practice. Again, we're, we've been doing this a really long time. And that, that I wasn't kidding about. Describe that because you were just sometimes the oh. show is on audio. So just yeah. what, what is the creative squiggle? So if you take a pen and you write like, just go like this, like a messy, messy Mishka mess, and then start to like uh, straighten it out a little bit and then kind of semi-straight for a bit, that's the project life cycle. Whereas like almost the first third, if not half is muddling, figuring. And, um, you know, it gets messy. You know, going down the wrong path, you know, you could put whatever uh, design diagram that you want on a double diamond where you go wide and go narrow and go wide and go narrow again as you uh, refine and focus, whatever you want. The point is um, that, you know, that little joke I made about the hiccups earlier on getting comfortable with, with a life cycle of hiccups when you're running a business. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, you could also... Um, 
whatever the opposite of extrapolate that is, <laughs> bring that down to and repeat that at the micro level. It happens on every project. You know, there's you have to be very comfortable with uncertainty, um, especially at the beginning, but ideally in little and smaller bits over the course of the project. And um, as a design methodology, we practice things like um, just enough, like, you know, we're always trying to minimize the size of a project, um, which sounds counterintuitive, but uh, to running a business. But when people come to us, we're always trying to say, yeah, no, really, let's figure out what we know has to be done and only do that because the process of doing that is going to teach us so much more about what we really need or what the next step really should be. We can conjecture, but all this planning is not going to help us get do it. Right. And so through you know, through that process, you end up like it's perpetual uncertainty, perpetual trial, and perpetual small bets. And so, uh, yeah, that a lot messiness of trust in the process required to do that, isn't there? Trusting people it's, and trust in the process. It's critical. This business comes down to people. We are so not right for so many uh, people because of this. In order to do this work effectively. I mean, think about how much uncertainty we're navigating. The the, the platforms, the languages, the um, the. Well, just, I'm going to stop you for a sec. Just to make, like we actually jumped over one piece. So what I when you say in this in this world or in this work, we all we really talked about so far is you do design work. So just talk a little bit mm -hmm. about what the services are that you do that you offer. Uh, so technically, um, we act as um, a kind of. Uh, outsourced marketing department for most of our clients. And so the gamut runs from brand strategy, where we're helping people figure out or articulate better uh, why anybody should really care about what they're doing, to onto visual identity, where we help um, them look like an organization that is doing what they claim to be doing, uh, through to um, helping them bring that um, their brand to life in interactions and experiences and communications. And so uh, it can manifest as a content strategy. It can ma manifest as a, a range of brand touch points. Um, you know, uh, often when I'm referring to these, these hectic uh, projects, you know, approaches, they're usually digital uh, websites and web apps. And um, so, uh, yeah, that's it. Really, it's uh, it's it's both. Um, you know, we, we it's the magic of getting it. Uh, you know, everybody's unique challenge, but really applying ninety percent of the same kinds of things to everyone. Mm -hmm. Everybody needs to to better tell the story. Everybody needs to look their best. Everybody needs to uh, improve how they uh, you know the experience of interacting with them. So when you said it's you're not right for everybody, what in your process mm. makes that the case? Because if those are standard applications that a lot of people do, what is it about working with you that's idiosyncratic? Well, um, I'll tell you two things. Um, you know, one on the one side is our, what's positive about us, and uh, the other side is what's um, why we're not a fit for some kinds of businesses. Uh, the in terms of why we're special, it's um, uh, this kind of hands-on approach. You know, we're not uh, transactional in our in our dealings. We really need some time to get to know our clients. So, per that trust that you mentioned, um, it can sometimes take years. Like they come, somebody will come to us for one project. I need a website, and we say, okay, 
Maybe you do. Let's talk about it. What problems do you have to solve? Uh, what's coming up, etc. And if we do decide that that is exact, actually what they need, and there sometimes we tell them it's not what they need, and whatever they've asked us for, and they'll if they say, "I'm sorry, you're wrong. We want this," and we don't think it's what they need, they're probably going to not not really going to end up being a client. Right. Right. Like that's not. I mean, um, you know, if I hire a um, uh, an electrician come over and I tell them what I want and they tell me, well, this is not going to go well for me if I do this. Um, certain electricians will say, we'll do it anyway. And certain ones will say, I don't want to be a part of this. Right. <laughs> right? Like there's, and so, um, so we're, we're in the, uh, we're in the latter camp and um, it's not that, not that we don't want more money, but we're just, things don't work out for us. And, uh, and I have a case in point. I have, have an, uh, an old friend who came for us to us, a client who came to us with their uh, nonprofit work. They had sold a software company to a giant U.S. software company, and then um, he went back to work for that company. And then calls me every couple of years and says, I've, "We just acquired a new company. Can you take a look at them and pitch them on their business?" And so we we've won uh, three out of four of the opportunities that they've sent us this way, but. Um, those, none of those businesses ended up staying with us even after we did the work for them, stayed for a year or two because they have a different business culture. They're very numbers oriented. They're just driving the newest, latest thing. They're not uh, slowly evolving relationships with their, with their constituents. They're not, um, they're not a fit for our strategic approach. And so we end up um, saying, this is great. I wish we could help you, but um, we're in a different, we're in a, a completely different business universe. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we do something, you know, we, um, I'm sure, I don't mean to be pejorative, but, it, you know, we call it meaningful marketing because we feel like a lot of business, uh, a lot of marketing today is really just spamming people with a numbers game. Right. And it's no different than, you know, when I used to go to my mailbox and um, the office and, and pull out another, flyer from whichever uh, i don't know phone company let's say that's just uh playing a numbers game with their mailers knowing that 0.04 percent of people who answer this is worth the amount that they're paying to print these and stuff them in mailboxes and etc for me those businesses don't factor in how frustrating it is for me to have to do that every day and throw out that waste right you know and and um, and then the negative feelings that they're accruing, and then what I'm going to say to people about them—they're not doing a whole well, cast. Of cast. So what's the, the contrast to that is meaningful marketing. So, what give us a like a either a case study or an example that you're particularly proud of of what that would look like? Oof, well, I'm kind of proud of everyone um, that we work <laughs> for. Uh, no, seriously, we have a. Um, you could pick any project and there's a really, 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 really neat sort of brand story behind it. Um, but within this idea so, of marketing, is there maybe just something recent that... Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I don't know. Uh, Fiesta Farms, you might know because you're from here in Toronto. Yep. Yes. Uh, so they're a grocery store. Um, it's kind of a commodity, right? Like there's lots of grocery stores and people can pick up food most places, um, but they're a special place for the people who shop there. And for 15 years now, we've helped them, you know, 
spread what's special about them to people who can't be there or to people who could be there but aren't now. And so uh, we got at the core of the reasons that people feel like they're getting more than just that commodity when they shop there. And we turned it into a marketing strategy uh, all about helping sell people celebrate the reasons that they feel like the store is special outside the store. And there are things like community, culture, tradition, gourmet slash craft. Um, and uh, so their marketing just researchers, interesting traditions. Uh, we did a video series for years called Apron Strings, which was all about um, capturing families, passing on a, tr a tradition. Um, it could be grandparents teaching something, could be a parent, could be people from a, a particular culture, whatever. And um, and that their marketing is has never once sold anything. Like it's never promoted a sale today. Um, it's always been about helping people celebrate the things that matter to them. And um, what happens because of that is people actually want to process it. They learn something, they enjoy something, they actually want to share it. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they feel like, um, and I know because I'm I'm one of them, right? Like I was a customer long before I was uh, there, uh, before they were a client. But, um, you know, we're just members of one of multiple communities of, entry, of interest. And uh, in their capacity as a grocery store, which is different than my capacity as a food advocate or a uh, or just somebody who's into food, um, we each move forward our interests in slightly different ways. They're able to create a platform where I can read this stuff, and um, and we used to do a series. We did a, for years a series of ads on the back of Edible magazine. Um, which were, I mean, everyone has its own illustrated. Some of them were um, ridiculous. Some of them were informative. Some of them were timely. Um, I remember one about uh, when Syrians, there was sort of an influx of Syrians who first came to Toronto. And there was this, so we took an opportunity to teach people about um, Syrian culture and used an ad for that. Cool. And we've done, yeah. And uh, I mean, I'd love to show you them. I'm not at the office, but um, I'm I'm so proud. And what's of, like, the, and uh, so you you talked earlier in our conversation about you know how do you demonstrate the impact? So that's really you know that's creative, interesting work. So they've been with you for a long time. So how do they evaluate whether your work has been successful and is actually producing the results they want? So. Um, so it's, I was smiling a little bit when you said that because, um, so when we first started, uh, there was a big leap. I'll just tell you the sort of origin story because it gets to what that, that question. Um, you know, we were, like I said, shopping there and um, ended up securing a meeting with the owner. And I found myself on my way to the store realizing I have to now explain to uh, somebody in their seventies why their grocery store needs a blog at the dawn of the blogging era, right? I mean, not the dawn because, you know, this is one minute past when, you know, blogs are really just for your cat and whatever, but, um, but really like it was not a corporate thing. And so I get to the meeting and I realized I, I have nothing. There's no way I'm going to be able to explain all this. This person's not technical and not a, certainly not an internet dweller. And so I asked instead for him to tell me about his store. And he ended up explaining um, 
how he started in the grocery business from 12 years old all the way through and been through all these different phases. It's a fascinating story. But one day when he finally gets to the stage where he buys the store, it comes with a garden center. The grocery business, obviously, it's in his blood. The garden center he knew nothing about. And so he had to lie to people. What do you do with this plant? What do you do with that? How do I do this? How do I grow that? I don't know. One day he just got sick of lying. And when somebody came up to him and said, what do you, um, what do I do with this plant? He picked it up and said out loud, does anybody know what to do with this? <laughs> and people came over and started talking amongst themselves, sharing ideas, da, da, da. And I said, okay, Joe, now let me explain this. That's called social networking. And, um, you know, you are, you, what you did when you did that was you were creating a platform for enthusiasts to share in their interest. Um, the experts could give their details. The amateurs could directly, you know, you, you were a disintermediator. You connected these people. And um, I said, that's what we want to do with your website around food. Um, you know, there's all these reasons that people come here and, and they're, they're, you know, from following them around the store and watching these old Italian ladies who you think are going one place end up going to buy sushi, that um, there's all, all kinds of reasons that people are into food that you still need to explore. That's what we want to do. So fast forward, uh, we did it. it big, big sensation, da, da, da. he's being interviewed by, I forget who, the Globe, the Star, whatever. And he said that uh, for what he paid, they could have, uh, he could have bought a Ferrari, which was not true at all, but I thought it was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, and, uh, but anecdotally, they were able to see that more people were coming, more of what they really liked about the store was happening more often. That is, people were chatting inside the aisles um and wandering around and reading labels you know like their efforts for um to bring in more things that uh for you know, local entrepreneurs or grown locally or from different cultures or with interesting certifications more people heard about that and so more people came in for all of those things and ended up exploring all of those things and so um anecdotally more people come for longer, spend more money, spend more time. Like, um, you know, they never measured, they never gave me metrics. All I know is that, um, you know, they're, they have a, a special place in people's heart. And, um, and I think that we've played a, a useful role in it and they must think so too. Nice. Now what your clients, how do they, how do they find you? I mean, what I mean by is people, do they say, I want a design firm, so I'm gonna start looking for a B Corp. To do that, do they say, do they like self-describe as doing good and need a firm that is also self-describes or is it by accident that I want a design firm and someone recommends you? Like it's, it seems like it's not, it's not a siloed form of marketing that you would do for yourself. So given that sort of, for, and I, I'm interested in this because for a lot of listeners who want to be values-based businesses, like how do you market yourself as a values-based business when you've got an actual particular outcome that a client wants on a business level as well. Yeah, it's tough. Um, you know, like I said, I, I, I've really backed into this career, right? Like I have a degree in advertising design and running a business was just something that happened, right? Like, I, I, I like a lot of entrepreneurs. Like, right. Yeah. And so, um, so I've had to uh, figure that out. Luckily, um, I, I think I have a touch of ADD. And so 
uh, I just end up going and following things that interest me. So I would go to conferences that interest me. Not design conferences, occasionally design conferences, but really like I was already reading design books nonstop. And um, it was a passion, personal passion. So I would just, I would, I was interested in food. I went to conferences. I would end up being the only person at the table talking um, who knew about marketing. I would answer questions. I would leave with multiple clients. I, I met um, Petra at a food conference initially. Petra is a, a mutual uh, contact that we have who runs a, a feminist organization called Lizbeth. It's true. Um, and so, um, so that's a that's a major one that I recommend to anybody young uh, or getting started or transitioning. Um, you you'll be much more effective if you follow your interests. Um, you know, if the subject matter um, is interesting to you, and then you combine that with your professional expertise, it's it's a it's a really tough combination for uh, people who are only selling professional expertise to compete with. Right. Now, on your site, you list uh, a lot of organizations that have done work to advance one or more of the SDGs. And for those who don't know, SDG means the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. And there's like 17 of them from no poverty to good health to peace and justice to clean water and so on. Pretty much everything anyone would care about. Is that a lens through which you look at for selecting clients or is that just a, a nice add-on? No, to be honest, to be totally, totally honest, it's really just a, a categorization that we use. And the reason we, we, we mentioned it at all is because, um, and we've been doing this for years, long before this degree of, you know, sort of polarization was really just the air we're breathing. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a useful common language, you know, if, if um, countries can agree on a, uh, a common set of um, ideas that uh, we feel like th they may not be uh, as acutely focused as they need to. They may not, you know, naturally burrow down to the prescriptive level, but it's a, uh, it's a useful rubric because uh, everybody can agree these are things, as you say, that we should be addressing. So we only use them as a categorization of people we're already working with. Um, I'd say a much a much uh, finer or more accurate uh, example of who we, if we targeted people, they would be. It would be people who are um, purpose driven, right? Like so, B corporations um, or uh, corporations who, if they're not social enterprises, do have um, purpose at the core. So. Um, How do you distinguish? One of the things I've been really interested in lately, I've had some interesting conversations on, is kind of the tension between, on one hand, what you might call purity requirements uh, and greenwashing or other forms of ethics washing on the other. And I, I recently spoke with a, an ethical fashion company, and the tension he had is he's, he's committed to both organic and to local. But one of his core ingredients, there's nobody local who's organic. So he has mm -hmm. to make a choice. Right. In his case, he chose local, but that leaves him subject to criticism that he's not fully organic. And there's some, you know, there's some people who have like these really strong kind of purity requirements that if we can find a way to criticize you, then you're not so pure. And then there's other people who will embrace an SDG while doing something, you know, some kind of shady things on the other side, which would be sort of greenwashing or ethics washing. And there's sort of this spectrum in the middle. Um, you know, and I, I've been interested, like people who are trying to do good, don't get it all right, right away. 
And so how do you navigate that with the sort of selection of clients and helping clients? So, um, so first of all, I agree, there's a continuum. And there are at one end, people who are, you know, their business model is exploitative, extractive, right? Like I'm, I definitely am going to be adversely affecting people on the planet and that's how I'm gonna make a buck. And at the other end is uh, people who are completely altruistic. And I feel like as long as you are, A, moving in that direction, you're on the right path. And B, if you're past the halfway point, you're a good prospective client for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, uh, my uh, late friend um, Wayne Roberts, who was a, a you know an amazing social um, a- actionist, multi-published author. I don't know if you know him, but he's like a he was a Toronto gem. Uh, he was the leader of the Toronto Food Policy Council for ten years. Um, anyway, he he um, he was. Uh, he taught me the the principle of like perfect not being the enemy of the good and big tents and you know so i feel like uh it's intractable and it's a problem some companies you know they should they just shouldn't exist and that's that's challenging for them right like if their model is entirely predicated on things that are um hurting people of the planet, then I'm sorry. And I, I feel bad for, you know, um, you know, we've, we've, we've globalized to such a point where all industries have consolidated, you know, there's five companies that, that, you know, make most of the food we eat, et cetera. And let's say, and they're doing their best to, to transition by, by buying up all the, you know, more ethical brands in their spaces. But, um, but the other half are legacy things that were invented, uh, you know, between the 50s and 60s and 70s, like these eras of abundance where, you know, we didn't realize that things were going to be finite. And they, you know, manufactured needs and and told people that they, they needed more time or that they were incompetent or whatever. And they got us hooked on all kinds of stuff. And really, we don't need those. We don't need whatever TV dinners or whatever. Like, so... Um, so I, so I, 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 you know, I feel bad for people in that, in that position, but again, I'm, I'm an entrepreneur and I run a business and there's only 10 of us. And so I choose to only work with people who are on that second half of the spectrum. Nice. And you find there's enough of that, that you're not, you're not compromising the growth of your own business by doing so. You know, there's a lot of things that compromise the growth of our business. Um, and, uh, and we're always trying to, you know, balance things out but um, but that one that one that wouldn't be one that we would compromise on. <laughs> so what's the what's the big Uber dream uh, for us? Yeah. Well, it's interesting. Uh, it's it's vacillated, like it's changed over the years. Um, one one concept has stayed true. Um, we don't need to be, uh, you know, a giant company. In fact, being too big might um, compromise our ability to do what we do the way we do it. Um, you know, we, uh, every one of the, you know, the pain points that has um, afflicted us at some point, like in our journey, we've eventually embraced and said, actually, no, that's how you operate, right? Like there's going to be this kind of, like people will be people, clients will be unreasonable. They will have a board who's, 
pushing ideas at them that may or may not be practical or even you know relate to the ultimate metrics that that they're asking their our client to deliver. Um, there's going to be all kinds of idiosyncrasies, and so we we just absorb them and say that's how we work actually. Um, and I don't think that works at scale, right? Like you can't have right, like you know. So um, our our core uh, our you know ability is um, a kind of flexibility, like a kind of agility, a kind of willingness to bend, and that's what breeds and that um, that the kind of trust that builds the kind of relationships, right? Like so, a client comes to us and uh, we just we just launched a campaign for uh, TAF. Um, the atmospheric fund around um, uh, disseminating funding for EV infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when they first... Electric vehicle infrastructure. Electric vehicles, yeah. And um, this is something that has to happen. They're on board. They would like uh, to help flesh out the network in places that it, it wouldn't, the market wouldn't necessarily drive it. Um, and um, anyway, when they first came to us, um, you know, the RFP was largely about doing a, a consumer campaign and something wasn't sitting right. And I had to tell them before we even had the job, listen, well, we can do this and I can make the case to you that we can do what you're asking. But I don't think you're asking the right thing. I think that, you know, I can't think of a, you know, any Instagram campaign that starts with a, a great ad and, and ends with me putting EV infrastructure, uh, you know, charging stations on right. my lot, right? And, um, you know, that's a, a, a really challenging funnel. And I, I think that, you know, per the parameters that you have, you, you know, you're targeting certain communities, audiences, they wanted to find places that were less saturated in Ontario. Um, maybe there's only a few people who can greenlight a project like this. And maybe we should, I don't know, take them out to lunch uh, or one of them. And like, to have a conversation with that one person and see what they feel the hurdles are, what they don't know, and, and then use that to inform our pitch, you know? And so we didn't even have the job yet. So as far as I'm concerned, I'm giving away strategic thinking because they're nice people doing something that's important and that I'd prefer to be working on if we could get the project in an actually useful and effective way. And if we can't, and we, we end up doing these value? things, <laughs> yeah, without getting paid for it, right? That, that's not a sound business idea. But um, but that's how we operate. And what ends up happening is they agree with us. They like what we're thinking. They would like to pursue the strategy. They give us the job. We do really nice work. Um, the URL is probably on our website. And um, and it's effective. It's working for them. And we the contract ends up getting extended. And we're now we're doing a whole bunch of other things for them within their abilities to, to deliver more contracts. And um, and it's only because you know we over-delivered before we got the project in a useful way, and then we continue to do it in our capacity, like a, you know within the constraints of the work that we agreed to do together. And so, you know, it's not that we're trying to like give away more for free or that we're horribly inefficient. It's that the nature of this kind of work is that um, you sometimes have to break down the walls before you really know need, know what you really need to do to this place. Right. And so, and you can't, can't always get paid for that, especially when you're talking with, with nonprofit clients, you know, whose, whose funding often comes attached with mandates and then spurts, or even with corporate clients who, you know, who have annual or quarterly budgets with, you know, preconceived um, metrics, 
Like, I mean, we're in a hyper iterative world. And I, and, and when you extrapolate, um, you know, the way we approach software development from like, oh, let's try it and see if it's effective and then change it tomorrow um, and apply that to other types of tools, other communications uh, experiences, et cetera. The, the rewards are astounding, but it's, it's so hard to get people to do that. So you just have to do it for free until they see it, get it, and then they're a client for life. <laughs> what's been the, if you could identify one, like in the evolution of your business, what's been the biggest challenge that you've had to face? <sighs> biggest. You know, like what was the... Well, I don't know. I don't know. That's it's so tough. There's been so many that I couldn't. I don't know if I can rank them. Um, I'd say that the biggest. Um, I don't think it's a, a failure, but it's clearly a challenge, um, has been um, the reality of the way we operate um, is that it it makes it you know it's been hard to scale certain roles. Uh, we can have more designers. We can have more developers. We can have more. Um, uh, uh, content people, but like this role that I play of like listening to people and really, really, really trying to get at what they need, um, hopefully informed by some of um, experience in their sector or with the issues that they're addressing. And then taking that from what they asked for to something that they really could use and framing that as a project that we can then break down and, and turn into tasks. That's, that's not an easy role to, you know, and it's unfortunately you kind of need 10, 15 years of like bashing your head against the wall to figure it out and to develop to, to, to grow that muscle. And so um, we've had really like, it all, I've, I've been a bottleneck for, for a long, long time. And, um, that's no longer the case, luckily. Um, I have two colleagues who can really help with that. And, you know, while I was, you know, muddling through all that for all of these years, my internal team has um, evolved and they increasingly do that, you know, a lot more handholding. And I can let go a lot sooner in the process, or I can um, co create, you know, take it apart with people, or even um, two of my colleagues can do the upfront thing and then turn me into a soundboard that, you know, helps them, you know, reframe. Da, da, da. So that's why um, I don't, I don't know if it was part of this conversation, but you asked me how things are going. I was like, this is probably the moment where I've like the, felt the most like things are flowing. Uh, in, in you mentioned before we went on air that you were, that you feel like you're in the most kind of harmonious place. Is that, is that why? That's that's really it. I mean, you know, uh, bandwidth to think strategically about us was something that really happened randomly in a shower, in a pool, on a vacation. Um, you know, when I was just forced to take space, you know, away from solving client problems. Um, and uh, our model internally is, has always been, unfortunately, deal with something when it becomes a problem. And I think that that's, the best way to go for a lot of things, but um, but for this kind of thing where we're really like understanding uh, who appreciates us the most, who gets the most value from us, who do we most enjoy working with, who are we most effective for, and making that our business model, um, that 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 kind of thinking and planning you need to make space for, and, uh, and I'm, I'm grateful that uh, of late, and I I also. I'm mildly embarrassed to say, I think part of that was part of the uh, pandemic 
you know, sitting right. at home here and phone's not ringing the, like it does at the office constantly, uh, 80% of which is spam. Um, and, uh, and, um, and even some of those special things like tapping people on the shoulder and, and um, solving problems together. I'm sacrificing by sitting here right now, but, um, but I have to admit that there's been, a, I've had periods of flow that I haven't had before and I'm doing lots of organizing. And so, yeah. Nice. So I always finish off with just some rapid fire questions, like just one sentence answers. Um, so one decision or action that most helped you get where you are. Ooh, I stumped him with that one. I, I have three, like I have, you know, the choice to go into this field. I think it's kind of rare that you're, you know, I'm, I don't meet people every day who are uh, working in what they study. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, and I would not have imagined that at that age, I would have had the foresight. Anyway, probably didn't. Um, that, there's that. Then there was um, the decision to segue away from traditional agency work into working with people that I thought were nice. That eventually turned out to people into people that were nice, but doing interesting things. And that eventually turned into people who were nice and interesting, doing interesting things, but also um, doing important things. And I just kind of like, it was one of those epiphanies that happens in a pool every five years where I was just like, well, actually this, you can't marry business and pleasure concept is nonsense. I can do whatever I want. And if that makes me feel good, we can probably figure it out. And so we did. Nice. If you had to do it over again, what would you change? Do I know what I know now? Sure. If I had to uh, do it over knowing what I know now, I would have um, positioned us for the, you know, pretty much the, the model elements that we have right now. I know exactly what kind of client we, we need. They have to be people who can, you know, uh, either an entrepreneur who runs a business or they have to be a senior enough executive at a, um, a large organization that can um, greenlight a project and has the mandate or the wherewithal to move things forward. Anytime we get stuck with a middle manager that has to explain things uphill, um, the you know all of the extra effort that we put in, all of the stuff that we give away that we've been talking about, all of that latitude, the value, the free, the value that we give away for free, so that people can eventually learn and become better consumers of our stuff, that gets invested in somebody who doesn't have an influential role of their organization. And it's happened many times. Like some of our, again, like we do no marketing people, the phone just rings. It's because we worked with Mars for six years and all these young people who were there um, as, um, you know, in junior roles have now gone on to other organizations. So, you know, if, if you're in, not in a capacity to make a decision, um, you know, it's a real investment of our time to help scale you up so that you can um, become a useful collaborator. And um, we've, it's almost, it almost never works out except for if you're in an institution that's about innovation. <laughs> What's one aspect of running a business you've yet to master? Mm, that's so hard. There's so many. Um, I, uh, so, I mean, one that's very much on my mind right now, uh, just because of a meeting we had this morning, um, is uh, celebrating, like slowing down. Like, I don't know exactly, like we're we're really effective. We pop stuff out all the time, but, and we're a small, tight-knit group and everybody, you know, there's people are get to work on 
stuff that's meaningful. They get to work, um, you know, on a kind of problem solving that's fun and they enjoy, creative or technical. But I, some things, like I feel like we're just on a, a, a you know, a, a treadmill. And we should probably, especially in this pandemic moment, in this remote moment, um, figure out how to stop and celebrate individual launches, um, even if they're micro phases of things, right? Like there's there's achievements that are not getting registered as such. And I, I wonder about what um, whether that's impacting us adversely. Good insight. Last two questions. Uh, they're, they're, they're at a personal level. So one personal quality that you most had to either improve or overcome to succeed. Almost everybody has at least one. Oh, no, my problem, on the contrary, my problem is that, uh, how do I prioritize? There's so many, right? Like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm hyper wired for growth, right? Like I'm perpetually trying to learn new things. I'll take a year and try to develop a skill, et cetera. And so I've like, I've, you know, I'm, I've, in the last 25 years of running this business, I've definitely improved in 25 ways, at least. Um, there was lots of, lots of room for improvement and there still is. Um, so, um, this is less about skills and more like, is there, is there a quality or a trait or something that maybe, you know, initially was holding you back? Uh, I've had people say things like temper or lack of focus or, um, all kinds of different qualities that they they needed to hone in on. Sorry to take uh, time. I hope you can edit my <laughs> wheels turning uh, out. But um, you know, uh, maybe enthusiasm. Maybe I could temper that a little bit and listen a little more. Yeah. That's the, there's worse weaknesses than, than enthusiasm. What's, what's well, one personal quality that most contributed to your success? Maybe it's the same one. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that it is. And uh, I probably would have had, I mean, I probably would have had more opportunities if I could have um, listened even better uh, in some situations. And, um, but I also, you know, some of our best relationships, some of our best clients are just because, you know, we really, we sit down, they tell us their problems. Uh, it, it, it sparks things and I, we spout them. We're, we often cut people off, especially me. Um, and, um, and for the most part, uh, people who uh, like what they hear end up becoming clients for life. And so I can only imagine that um, if I, uh, you know, for some people, there could have been more clients for whom that temperament or that approach was uh, less interesting. If I had, uh, you know, been able know. To, and but and, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, again, I feel like there's lots of personal development and lots of personal growth that can still go on. Um, I think that uh, I also think that it, it, uh, that question is particularly challenging because how do you know, like? You know, if if you change something else, where it would have sent you, right? Like, oh, that's that's a fair comment. So, where can people find you? Well, 
physically in Toronto. Um, they they want to look online. you up and engage. Like if there are, you know, some nonprofits or social entrepreneurs listening who are interested in what you can do for them. The easiest is to reach out uh, via email um, at uh, info at hypnotic.com or hello at hypnotic.com. That's how we get most of our inquiries. I just yeah. want to spell it out so people get it. H-Y-P-E-N-O-T-I-C. Dot com. There's a form on our website and, and we get inquiries uh, through it daily. Um, feel free to reach out. Um at your convenience, you can find me on Twitter at HypnoticBam, so H-Y-P-E-N-O-T-I-C-B-A-M, which stands for Barry Alexander Martin. And, um, and any last uh, thoughts and for uh, aspiring social entrepreneurs? Um, well, I'd say unless you, you know, you're a, a business major and you know, you're truly uh, industry agnostic, um, and perhaps even if that's the case, um, my greatest piece of advice would be to follow your your heart, like your interests. Um, if you like beer, then work in anything from uh, agriculture to uh, small enterprise to um, to uh, uh, to working with a design company who specifically focuses on that. If you're interested in uh, in games, you know, find a chess company, find a game company, whatever. Um, if I could do it all over, um, I would strictly be working with businesses who are in comic books and craft beer. That's not true. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true because I really like learning about everybody's industries. But, um, but yeah. I think that that makes that's what made my life the easiest when we I've gone to events or read up on things or met people who run organizations that are um, focused on things that I'm interested in, and I've connected with them around that interest, uh, given them free advice because I couldn't help myself, and they ended up deciding to pay us. Nice. Thanks so much for your time, and I'm I I think your story is a really interesting one. The 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 services you offer are super valuable for those that are trying to do some good in the world, and I think you can feel very proud of the work you've done. So I really appreciate you taking the time with us today. Hey, thank you very much, Warren. It was really nice to meet you too. Hi, it's Warren Coglin here. Thank you so much for listening to the Business That Matters Spotlight. If you're a successful, values-driven entrepreneur who makes a difference while making a profit and you'd like to be on this program, please visit warrencoglin.com slash podcast slash apply. That's warren, C-O-U-G-H-L-I-N dot com slash podcast slash apply. If you got something out of this interview, would you do us a favor and share this episode on social media? Just do a quick screenshot with your phone and text it to a friend or post it on the socials. If you know someone that would be a great guest, Tag them on social media to let them know about the show and include the hashtag Business That Matters Spotlight. I love seeing your posts and guest suggestions. We're regularly putting out new episodes and content. To make sure you don't miss any episodes, go ahead and subscribe. Your thumbs up, ratings, and reviews go a long way to help promote the show and mean a lot to me and my team. Want to know more? Go to our website, warrencoglin.com, or follow me on LinkedIn, facebook.com slash a business that matters, and Instagram at warren.coglin. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.